1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Now, concerning the matters about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, Will, this is an interesting passage. And uh, it, there's a lot, uh, you know, the husband being justified by the, or being made holy, rather, by the uh, faith of his wife and so forth. Uh, you know, a lot of theology here we don't necessarily dig into all the time. So what do you make of what Paul's instructing here? Yeah, I'm just so grateful, Will, that you brought me on for easy passages like this. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You're welcome. <laughs> now you know how I feel. <laughs> you have to. You can't avoid it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just inevitable. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you're right. There's a lot going on here. Let's start with the first part there, uh, verses one to five, where it talks about the way that wives and husbands should relate to one another in marriage. Um, so here we start with what we talked about yesterday briefly is Paul is apparently replying to a letter that the Corinthians have written to him in which they say, mm -hmm. it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And it's significant that Paul, he doesn't agree with this. Uh, he doesn't yeah. think that, um, that's, he, he doesn't say, yeah, you're right. Uh, no, he, he actually lays out the importance of sexual relations within the context of marriage. And then he presents, yeah. you know, a, what would potentially be radical in the time, which is that both the husband and the wife have these 
rights to this, right? So I think a way, a helpful way to think about this is as an example of this deeper idea that we see in Christian faith of loving one another, right? So Mm -hmm. this is just a specific, a very specific and maybe a little bit awkward to discuss (laughs) example of Christians living out this kind of loving one another ethic that we see at the heart of Christian faith. So within this special relationship of marriage, loving one another, one of the many things that that involves is these conjugal rights, as they're called here in this passage, right? Both Mm -hmm. husband and wife looking out for the good of the other in this regard. And that goes back to what we looked at yesterday in that in marriage, the two become one flesh, right? They become this almost unified organism, especially in this regard, uh, in which Mm -hmm. they are now looking out for each other's interests. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you were hitting at this, but Paul, you know, gets a lot of flack these days for, you know, supposedly being a misogynist and, and, um, promoting like male dominance or whatever. But this passage, uh, very much upends that, especially, you know, reading it into the, the cultural moment that he was writing this to say that, you know, he, he says, The wife does not have authority of her own body, but her husband does. But then he flips the coin and says it goes both ways. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And that, you know, uh, I guess like two-way street of authority, it, it, you know, was so such a a new idea. And, And, you know, it's really important because not only it does it show that marriage is not like a one-way dominance scheme, but it's also not just like a partnership where you sort of retain, you know, this sense of independence of one another and you like lend yourself and like lend aspects of yourself, but it's Mm. a whole life um, being bound to another whole life and um, being surrendered in a sense. And so it's, you know, even for us today, I think very, a very challenging and convicting picture of marriage. Yeah. And we need to move on to singleness. But one other point about this passage is, you know, some people will denigrate this passage because they'll say, well, you know, Paul, he just thinks of marriage as a way to avoid sexual sin. Right. Uh, And so it's, Mm. he has, they they say he has just such a low view of marriage. It's just a way to avoid, um, if you don't have enough self-control, then well, you should get married. <laughs> but I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that that takes into account the broader scope of the way that Paul talks about marriage. I mean, in Ephesians five, yeah. he speaks yeah. of it in this rich way as a picture of the gospel. He's in this particular context addressing these specific issues about sexual immorality and marriage hat does play a role there as he sees it. But we shouldn't judge all of Paul's thinking about marriage by this particular passage. But now let's talk to say, yeah. talk about singleness. So we move on, mm-hmm. right? And, and Paul says that he wishes that others were like him. Um, and that's where we get this. If they cannot ex- exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, what do you think about this? I mean, is singleness the preferred Christian lifestyle, do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is so 
one of the things that I really like about this passage and think is interesting is Paul is weaving this really interesting interplay between his mm-hmm. opinion and like the word of the Lord. And so he mm-hmm. keeps kind of like requalifying like what's just him speaking and then, um, you know, what is actually the word of God. And so Paul definitely makes it clear that from his limited perspective that, you know, pragmatically singleness is the way to go to him. Like you can <laughs> travel more freely and, and live more dangerously and reach more people. Um, but he also, you know, qualifies that as his limited perspective. And, you know, we also see like, um, you know, married couples in the Bible who even come alongside Paul and, and um, where that marriage partnership is the amplifying force of ministry. And so, and, um, you know, like we know Peter was married. And and so I don't think that this is like condescending towards married people as just like sexual brutes who can't get it under control. Um, (laughs) but he recognizes like God has a, a path, um, for each person that, uh, through which they can be most effective in the kingdom of God. I think the important corrective for the church today is that we tend to overvalue marriage and undervalue singleness. Uh, and so mm-hmm. this passage is helpful to say, no, there, singleness can be of great value. In fact, in some cases of greater value for the way that it frees you up for ministry and, and to focus on the kinds of things that Paul holds forward here. Um, so we should treat our single brothers and sisters recognizing that they're not second-class citizens in the church. Amen. Uh, they don't, Absolutely. Uh, so that's an important reminder for us. All right, finally, we've got divorce here at the end of the passage. Uh, yeah. So what do you think's going on? And you mentioned already the, uh, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, uh, repeated a couple times where Paul is saying, okay, I'm going a little bit beyond here what um, Jesus has said, but this is what I think is important advice. Probably for you, Corinthians, in your particular situation, Corinth was a pagan city, a very Gentile city. Uh, And so it's a good chance that a lot of the people who became Christians there would be married to people who are non-Christians. And that seems to be part of what was going on. Many of them may have already been divorced before they became Christians. So divorce is a Mm. pressing issue uh, in Corinth. But what do you think are the underlying theological points that we can draw from what's discussed here? Gosh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, You know, I also... This makes me think about um, we're reading this in a, you know, from a place where, you know, basically everyone listening to this or the vast majority of us listening are, are American and have grown up in like an established, uh, you know, place where Christianity has been established for hundreds mm-hmm. of years. And Paul is writing during the like birth and infancy and growth of the church. And so... Yeah it's kind of helpful for me to think about this passage. Um, you know, I am involved some with a help the persecuted, which is Josh Youssef's ministry in the middle mm-hmm. East. And they have all of these, um, people who, you know, come to faith in Jesus and it's like a big deal in their marriage. And, um, because it's, it's a new movement. Like the, mm-hmm. the work of God is like a, a very, uh, fresh work in these countries. And so I think a lot of this uh, can maybe line up 
at least when I read it, it's helpful for me to think through the lens of like people in those contexts and then to see um, how that applies. And, you know, I think the underlying points of godliness that are here are faithfulness and um, endurance and, you know, not taking the path of least resistance Um, and how that applies to us today with um, marriage is, I would I would actually be interested to hear your thoughts on what yeah. this means for us today. Well, I mean, I think that there's a way in which this, the, especially the end of the passage here, lest we think that Paul has a just a purely sexualized understanding of marriage. It's just a way to deal with sexual desire. He actually here at the end has a very rich understanding of the spiritual power of a marital relationship because it's through mm. this relationship that, the husband or the wife has the opportunity to draw the other uh, into mm-hmm. an understanding of the gospel. I, I think that is what he has in mind here at the end when he says made holy because of his wife in verse um, 14, uh, or mm-hmm. the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. I don't think that that is any like a kind of sacramental thing where like the holiness of the one person is given to the other person is actually that they're drawing the one or the other through their behavior, behavior through their faith to know the gospel. I was doing a little research mm-hmm. on this actually before we started talking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, one reason why I think that's what's going on in verse 14 is this commentator I was looking at. And he said, when it says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. In light of the, hmm. the mentioning the possibility of the wife divorcing from a man uh, in verse 13, um, this commentator said that in the Roman world, if there was a divorce, the children would go with the husband almost always. Uh, and so wow. in verse 13, it's considering whether a woman should divorce a husband who is an unbeliever. And the idea then would be um, she would lose the opportunity to influence her children. They would be taken mm. by the unbelieving husband. Wow. So that suggests that this idea of okay. being holy comes just through the influence of being in a family together. Um, yeah, I, I think to to your point, I think verse 16 underlines what you're saying. The idea that it's not like this contagious sacramental yeah. holiness. He says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So there's sort of like, it's not like he's throwing out the like language of justification and salvation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that totally goes with um, what you're saying. So, man. There's a lot here. This is a a beefy episode and, you know, might raise questions. Uh, And so I think it's good to uh, use this as a starting point to press deeper into these topics. So, Will, thank you for those words of wisdom. Um, For Will Kynes, this is Will Carlisle. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ's Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404 465 1737 or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for our daily rhythm.